Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Vegan World. Uh, you're very welcome, and quick question for you this week at the start of the show. Do you know where the word vegan comes from? And did you know when it started? Well, okay, smartass, maybe you did, but not everybody does. Uh, this week I speak to Dominika Piaseca from the Vegan Society in the UK. Now, during the course of the interviews that I've been conducting over the last couple of months, um, one thing that really came across from the Vegan Society in general is their positivity in their outlook and the campaigns that they run. There's no negativity in anything that they have to say. That Their focus is very much on persuading people to the vegan cause and the vegan lifestyle. And they also want to act as, uh, I guess, an example or an aspiration for people. Uh, that there is a better way, there is a better lifestyle and there's a better way for animals and for humans as well. So we covered a lot of topics in the conversation uh, ranging from the origins of the organisation, Dominique's uh, inspiration for joining them herself, but also campaigns that they're currently running uh, in the UK but further afield and engaging with big business and getting them to buy into the vegan lifestyle and providing vegan options for people. Uh, we talk about the National Health Service in the UK, we also talk about airlines and their provision of choice for vegan meals, example, and flights. Um, so we talk about a million and one things, so uh, enjoy this week's episode, guys, and look forward to your feedback. Thanks a million. So hello and welcome to Dominica from the Vegan Society. Hi, Dominica. Hi, Neil. So... The Vegan Society, I think a lot of us in the UK are all all very much well aware of the work that they do. Um, Can you tell us about how you personally got involved with the Society, Dominica? Sure. So for me, my vegan journey really started from vegetarianism. So after my 16th 16th birthday, I just started thinking about how I've always been an animal lover. um, And it just didn't make sense to me that I was eating their bodies at the same time. Because I think it's quite easy to see for people that eating meat obviously contributes to animal suffering. So then I went vegetarian and I um, actually struggled with being vegetarian at the beginning. So I did have some slip ups. Um, For example, on my um, birthday barbecue, I ate some meat which I wasn't um, proud of but um, I just sort of you know I didn't feel strong enough about it at the time and it actually took me two entire years to become vegan Um, so obviously as a vegetarian I thought that was enough but I wasn't aware of the suffering in the dairy and egg industries so then I actually started being an activist when I was vegetarian so I started going to demonstrations against the fur industry or against the circus industry and um, I met a few vegans there and they sent me a video by Gary Urofsky which I'm sure you're Um, your listeners are familiar with yeah the best speech you will ever hear on YouTube and as soon as I found out I gradually eliminated um, other animal products from my diet so um, I eliminated dairy milk and then um, eggs and then other things like chocolates that got traces of milk in them and yeah I went vegan two years after so it was quite a journey for me I would say that's why I um, in my activism I'm really understanding of people um, and when where they are in their vegan journey if you like so even if someone you know is a vegetarian or as they like to say like newly vegan which obviously doesn't exist but people like to say that I try to emphasize with with them and and tell them that actually I've been there and um, you will get there if you want to so I think just finding the motivation and finding out the information really helps me to become fully vegan that's an interesting point you raise actually when you talk about the 
talk about the whole process as a journey. You know, I, similar to yourself, I started out vegetarian for obviously for animal rights issues. And then I guess it's just mm-hmm. a case of education, isn't it? You know, then you find out about the dairy industry mm-hmm. and the processes involved in it and what they do and how they operate. And you kind of go, I, I didn't realize this before. We often in the past probably thought vegetarianism was enough. Um, then so, slowly after a period of time, you realize, oh, hang on, there's more to this than I, I first realized. So I think it's, um, and then you eventually, as a vegan, I think you kind of go, now just being vegan isn't enough either. You know, now I need to get involved in activism yeah. as well. Um, so yeah. it's interesting those three stages you go through. I think a lot of people can identify with that. Now, the activism of the vegan society uh, advertised on their website. I was fascinated with it when I looked at this, Dominic. I thought it was really, really interesting. Can you tell me, about the, first of all, the history before we get into current campaigns and things like that, the, the history of the vegan society and how it first uh, came into being? Sure. So actually, if, if we if the vegan society didn't exist, I don't know if we would be here today talking about veganism, because it all actually started with the vegan society being founded back in 1944, so over 75 years ago. Um, and the co-founders of the vegan society, they defined the term vegan. Um, so they sort of came up with a name and the philosophy that we still live by today, which is um, to avoid the exploitation and use of animals. So if it wasn't for these people, maybe we would be be calling ourselves something else or maybe veganism wouldn't be um, where it is today but a lot of people seem to think a lot of non-vegans seem to think that it's quite a new thing but uh, like I said we've been around for about 75 years and um, I know some vegans and some staff members as well who are third generation vegans and you know who have um, vegan families and they live happily and healthily so people seem to think like oh it's a modern thing you know it's a fad or a trend but actually there are a lot of people who have been living this lifestyle for quite a few decades. It's interesting as well when you think about it back in the 1940s, how difficult it might have been for people back then, you know, to work on a a vegan diet compared to what we have today and the amount of choice we have today and the selection we can have in our supermarkets today compared to what those poor people must have had to have gone through, you know, back in the 40s. (laughs) They um, paved the way for us. Yeah, no, 100%, absolutely. Um, Now, in terms of the growth of the vegan society in the last 10 years, how have you noticed that growing? Um, Say, you know, I know there's been different campaigns that have been running and stuff. Have you been, um, you mentioned there before about how people think it's a new thing. Have you noticed a a big growth with the Mm. vegan society over the last few years? Yeah, so actually we carried out some research last year that found the number of vegans just in Great Britain has actually quadrupled in the past four years alone. So when you take a look at this short period of time, which is the four years, and for the numbers to quadruple from 150,000 vegans in Britain to 600,000 vegans, that's quite a lot. And that's, you know, 300% growth. So that's a huge, huge increase. And um, when you look at campaigns like Veganuary as well, they are seeing a huge increase in the number of signups to the campaign as well. So I think, if anything, the number of vegans will continue growing um, and people who are interested in veganism as well and then obviously um, becoming vegan through their journey, um, coming into it. So, uh, yeah, I can I can definitely uh, tell that we, we've seen a, a huge increase, not just in the number of vegans, but also people who try to eat sort of more vegan-friendly. So some people like to call them flexitarians, mm-hmm. uh, which is people who consciously avoid the consumption of animal products Product. Apparently, up to a third of British people now tries to eat this way. And of course, it got nothing to do with the vegan philosophy. But we can't deny that this sort of um, 
this sort of living way of living does help veganism because it helps to increase the demand for vegan products and as a result the more vegan products obviously the easier it is to become vegan so it's easier for people to stick with it because through my activism and through my daily job I've uh, spoken to people who really already have vegan values in their hearts and they really want to do it but they, they simply lack the motivation or they think it's inconvenient and of course when you think about what the animals go through our slight inconvenience is nothing compared to that but I think not everybody is where we as vegans are so not everybody is willing to sacrifice their daily convenience you know because of the lives of animals and as sad as that sounds we do need to make it easier for people to to be vegan and to show them the way and I think the practical information we really need to emphasize that um, you know where people can shop what they can eat what they can cook um, so I think this sort of information is really helpful for people interested in veganism. That's a really good point you touch on there, Dominique, because one of the, the, f- the very first episode of this podcast was with uh, a, gen- a gentleman by the name of Cliff Grant, who represented uh, Anonymous for the Voiceless. And one of the points oh, he came uh, yeah. up with, yeah, a fantastic guy, um, a really interesting outlook as well. Um, one of the points he realized, or he came with to the, the call that day was to say, a lot of people already have vegan values. They just don't mm-hmm. realize that the next step in the process, and that comes through education, or, you know, I don't mean that in a condescending way towards non-vegans, but in such a way as to just um, show them, look, this is the next step in that process. You already hold vegan values. You're all, a lot of people would already identify themselves as animal lovers. So then to make the connection between, okay, I'm an animal lover, why am I eating animals? You know, it's that inherent mm-hmm. contradiction in that relationship that I think uh, a lot of the work that the Vegan Society does and other groups as well, like Anonymous, can kind of maybe lead people to that yeah. natural conclusion or the end point of uh, where they, they see that journey, if you see what I mean. So I think the work that you guys do is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that end, actually, on your website... I could spend hours looking at the Vegan Society's website. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I was looking at some of the <laughs> blog examples that you have on there, uh, particularly. Let's talk about a few of them now, because I know we were chatting just before I hit the record button about people, uh, well, me traveling to the U.S., and you're on your holidays quite soon mm-hmm. as well. One of the campaigns that the Vegan Society is looking at at the minute is how to help airlines improve the choices for vegans with their in-flight meals. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. So we are offering um, some training to airlines and some information as well about how to cater um, better for vegans. So it's not just the case about increasing the um, amount of vegan options available, but like you were saying, your meal was vegan, but it wasn't very nice, basically. So we are trying to um, increase the quality of the food as well. So we are in conversation with several airlines, um, you know, about how we can try to help them um, to put that into place because, of course, they're quite limited in terms of airline food. Um, there's quite a small number of, of foods relatively, you know, that would survive um, sort of being frozen and then unfrozen midair and still taste nice. So I think they have quite a lot of things to take into account. Um, and obviously, with, with vegan food, it can be seen as being even more limited and of course if no one orders vegan food then they're not going to carry it so we are just trying to show them that actually there is demand for it and the great thing about vegan food is that it's actually inclusive of everybody so whether you're vegan vegetarian flexitarian you want to eat healthier or you just want to be more environmentally friendly 
or you follow a certain religion, you know, nearly everybody can eat vegan food, which is obviously the opposite for for um, non-vegan food. So we are trying to show them these benefits. And just one big thing about flying as well is obviously it's notorious for um, having a high environmental impact. And we are trying to tell airlines that having a vegan meal can actually help to offset that impact. Um, so obviously animal products are harmful to the environment because animals eat a lot of food, they drink a lot of water and produce a lot of waste. So um, when you take all of that into account, vegan options on average are always more environmentally friendly. So we are trying to um, show airlines that this is the case and just encourage them to cater better for their vegan customers. Absolutely. That's a really interesting point, actually. And uh, not to mention any specific airlines from my point of view, but uh, Mr. Branson, you need to have a look at your uh, in-flight options <laughs> for a certain airline. Uh, but I'll leave it at that. Uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, the use of the uh, the vegan trademark, uh, Dominica. Uh, can you talk to me a bit about that and how you've seen that grow over the last little while? Mm, so we've actually been employing a lot of people in that area to help us trademark a vegan product. So what we do is we have a look at the ingredients list and the suppliers of the ingredients and just sort of track it down really to see whether anything comes from animals. And sometimes we do find an animal product in the formulation of a product, in which case we would get back to the company, suggest them some um, alternatives, and we would work with them to veganize the product, if you like. And a lot of them actually, thanks to this, um, they've turned the product into truly vegan ones because sometimes you find something really obscure like a you know a small amount of some chemical or something that comes from animals and actually this is not necessary for the product so when the companies identify this it's quite easy to replace um, so we are working with companies on that and we've got now actually um, about 30,000 products in 55 different countries and from about 100 different companies so we trademark um products rather than companies and um, because we trademark or register them it's not seen as the same as a certification or approval so we're not saying oh this product tastes good or it's going to do wonders for your skin we're just saying it's vegan so that's all the claims that we make through the registration process um, just so that people um, can be clear so even if we trademark a product that's produced by Unilever, which tests on animals. If we trademark a specific product, that doesn't mean that we support what Unilever does. That just means that the one product they produced is um, free from animal ingredients and animal testing. Yeah, it's one thing I've tried to do. I know a, couple, well, a lot of people that I've spoken to over the last few months and years, when you're out shopping, and if, even if it's in the supermarket or if it's in you know, your local pharmacy, and you're buying, even if it's a bar of soap, uh, you always look for that vegan mm. uh, approved uh, symbol on the back of it. It's just one of those things that, it, you know what it's like when you first go vegan, your first trip to the supermarket, you probably spend yeah. about three hours in it reading the back of every label on every product. <laughs> and, you know, I guess this is just an extension of that. When uh, you look for a vegan trademark, then you can rest assured that, you know, that particular product hasn't been tested on animals. That's obviously a big thing for a lot of vegans. So great work there. Um, mm. uh, let's talk about a few things in, in terms of news examples, Dominica. Um there were a couple of uh, things I picked up on with the Vegan Society and the website and in terms of where the National Health Service here in the UK has been urged to remove restrictions on plant-based milk. Can you talk to me about that? And I didn't actually realise there was restrictions on plant-based milk in the past. So basically what this means is that there is a new voucher scheme um, for pregnant women and their children. So what they can do is they get, I think, uh, just under £10 worth of vouchers every week to spend on vitamins, 
fruit and vegetables and also milk. And sadly, it specifically says on the website that um, plant milks such as soya milk, almond milk are excluded. Um, only full-fat dairy milk can be bought with those vouchers. And sadly, the vitamin D supplement also comes from animals. So um, vitamin D3 is derived from sheep's wool. So really, the only thing that vegan mothers can spend their vouchers on is just fruit and vegetables, which is not bad. You know, we're not complaining about that. But the fact is that soya milk and other plant milks are specifically excluded from this, which actually could be seen as in, um, indirectly discriminating against vegans. So, you know, why shouldn't we have the right to choose what type of milk we want when it has the same nutritional value, when it has similar amount of protein, um, and if it's fortified with calcium, it's got the same sort of nutrition, um, um, you know, ingredients. So uh, we just sort of challenged that with the NHS, and uh, we are talking to them currently. So it's both NHS England and NHS Scotland. So they have those schemes in England and Scotland, and we are working with them to find a suitable alternative to those um, to the vitamin D supplement and also to suggest to them, you know, some soya milks or other plant milks that vegan mothers could spend their money on. So I think they simply didn't realize, you know, that they would be um, putting vegans in a difficult position. Um, I mean, it's, it's good for now for those mothers to be able to spend it on fruits and vegetables, but also they should have equal right, really, and there should be alternatives for people who don't want to exploit animals through their choices, but still want to benefit from such a scheme. So that's why our um, legal team has picked that up with the NHS. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, you know, the National Health Service, it's like we were saying before, it's an education process for a lot of people and a lot of institutions, mm-hmm. people within those institutions as well, I guess. The National Health Service, no different, I suppose, to the rest of them. It's fascinating. I didn't actually realize that de facto they just would offer you cow's <laughs> milk, you know, as a... As a mother, it's despite all the scientific evidence out there, but not only that it's plant-based milk mm. is better for you, that but you know cow's milk is actually harmful for you, particularly when you're in that position. You know, so I mean, good yeah. good for you guys and the, the hard work that you do on that. It's fascinating. There was also one other Thank thing you. that I saw about the headline was pasture-fed meat isn't green. Um, obviously, mm. we're both vegans. <laughs> we don't think there's anything good to come with meat. But can you tell me about that and what that campaign was, that piece of news was about? Yeah, so basically one of our members alerted us to a blog on a um, on a banking website, actually, which was really random. It was an, a blog basically arguing in favor of pasture-fed meat. So he was saying things like, oh, yeah, we are an ethical bank and we are trying to promote a more ethical way of eating animals. Uh-huh. And the member says that there's actually no vegan view in that blog at all. So she linked um, me to that as a press officer. And then I had a look at it and I reached out to the bank and said, how about we publish a counter view to that? Because people are not being told the whole story they're just being told one point of view so then they agreed thankfully so our campaign team then drafted a blog to say actually the statement on the website is not truly correct because pasture fed meat isn't green um, because animals still they would drink a lot of water and produce a lot of waste which has really um, high environmental impact and of course the as cows produce methane as well so we are really spending a lot of our time just challenging misinformation out there um, and of course we included the animal rights view as well in that blog so it's not just about environmental um, concerns. Let's remember that we are talking about sentient living beings mm-hmm. who are um, capable of feeling suffering. So we made sure that we included that in the um, blog response as well. So yeah, I would say like the bulk of our 
work is just finding out misinformation online and just sort of trying to put forward a vegan point of view for it. And sadly, when it comes to topics like nutrition or raising vegan children, those are hands down the most controversial and the most um, sort of the most misinformation comes from stories about those topics. So it's really sad to hear that, you know, journalists don't check their facts or people just write stuff they don't even um, believe in or that's not correct. So we are just trying to, you know, ensure that anything that's really damaging to the vegan movement gets gets challenged and um, that people are reminded about animal rights and about all the other amazing benefits of veganism. So that's what we do with um, things like that, really. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and one of those things that you not only challenge people's perceptions of, but you put the information out there for people to be able to go to like a one particular one-stop shop or a source is the Vegan Societies app, mm-hmm. which I've have to say I've downloaded and I look at it every day for my little nugget of information <laughs> every day. Can you? I think that was launched relatively recently, um, but it's a very slick app that anybody yeah. with you know a smartphone can go on to. If it's Apple, you can go on to the store, download it, or Android, do exactly the same. Can you talk to us about that app and how that came into being and, and the information type of thing people can expect to see on mm. it? So we've recently noticed that there isn't really a, a Go Vegan app, if you like. So every uh, sort of vegan pledge is email-based or sort of Facebook-based, but a lot of young people now just use applications on, on their mobiles. So we decided to bring vegan pledges into the 21st century. And last year, on November 1st, which is World Vegan Day, we launched this Veguide app, which is free to download, of course, because we wanted to reach a lot of people. Um, and the way it works is that when people download it, they can log into it every day and get like a one or two minute video every day just explaining to them a little bit more about veganism and that's over the course of 30 days because research shows that's how long it takes people to um, break a habit so apparently you know the longer you you try to remain vegan obviously the easier it becomes but particularly the first 30 days are very crucial and again as we know as vegans veganism can be quite a minefield so there are just so many things to to learn about it and i still learn about new stuff every day that's why we've broken it down into 30 days um so and we present this information in manageable chunks to new vegans so that they can learn a bit more every day and um, hopefully realize that it's so much easier to be vegan than, than they thought. Um, and the app also contains some recipes, discounts, quizzes. Um, so we just try to make it really interactive and um, beneficial to people. Um, and yeah, we've had really good feedback. I think it's the best rated app that we've launched so far. Um, and we've had quite a few downloads, I think 15,000 downloads oh, wow. for now, and it's growing as well. Uh, so yeah, we had 10,000, I think, just in the month of November when we were really pushing it. Uh, so now every time I hear about someone you know, wanting to become vegan or interested in veganism, I always recommend V-Guide to them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a, it's, a great, it's a great app that we managed to come up with. Isn't it funny when we were mentioning at the start of the conversation how back in the 1940s <laughs> people had very little information? <laughs> yeah, and now look yeah. at it today. We've got apps, we've got documentaries on Netflix. <laughs> There's no excuse not to these days. There really isn't. Mm. One thing I wanted to kind of um, just move on to really was, and one thing I think in all of this, because a lot of this for a lot of people, Dominica, is it's quite emotive, obviously, because we're talking about animals 
we don't want to see them get hurt you know and that sparks a, a consciousness within a lot of people to adopt mm-hmm. um, not just a vegan diet because being a vegan isn't just about a diet it's about a lifestyle choice it's a philosophy that we buy into and mm-hmm. you know live our lives by um, whether it's not wearing leather or wool or obviously not eating eating animals as well but one of the things that doesn't get talked about very much and I noticed that again from your website um, and I have to look at the back of a lot of labels when I'm in supermarkets to make sure it doesn't include this is honey mm-hmm. and honey is one of those products that even as a vegetarian, I would have thought, oh, what's the harm? You know, a bit like as a vegetarian, yeah. I thought, oh, cows want to give us their milk, you know, to make it into cheese or whatever. And chickens want to give us their eggs, you know, without actually understanding those industries are barbaric um, and cruel. And the honey mm-hmm. industry tends to get a little bit overlooked in this, I, I think, you know, but there's a lot of comparisons with the dairy industry. Um, can you talk to us a bit about honey industry and maybe the process involved and why as vegans it's it's something we shouldn't obviously support yeah so of course at its core it uses animals so the honey industry uses bees to um, you know exploit them to basically steal honey from them which they produce for themselves which makes it non-vegan and i think for a lot of people um you know bees are just insects they're small animals and it's you know they're not cuddly (laughs) so it's it's difficult for people to relate to them i guess you know whereas if people talk about cows and pigs and and chickens they're a bit easier to imagine if you like and it's a bit easier to imagine their suffering which i think is where honey comes in so a lot of the time when i talk to um for example radio stations and give interviews um i tend to avoid this topic simply because um when i mention that we don't eat honey we are suddenly dismissed as extremists and if i mentioned um um, that you know then the, the whole interview becomes just about honey and I think when people focus on this one particular um, thing about a vegan lifestyle then our battle is much more difficult so I think with with things like honey we kind of need to pick our battles and of course as, as vegans we don't consume or, or use it and it's important to bring it up but when the right time comes and I think just when you look at the diet aspect so um, eating meat, dairy and eggs that's about 99% of animal suffering in the world so this is why maybe things like clothing and vegan beauty and, um, and, and honey maybe those things are secondary to the food aspect but of course like you said veganism is not just a diet it's a lifestyle choice so we do tend to talk about the whole lifestyle although when you get lost in details too much I find that people get really confused Um, and you know with veganism we often ask why do we include honey in our definition of veganism and honey doesn't actually fall into the category of meat dairy and eggs Um, because from one point of view obviously it's a logical extension of the vegan philosophy because bees are animals and they're using the production of honey but um, if we didn't include honey in our um, definition then we would be called hypocrites but when we do include it we're called extremists so I think with that it's really a lose-lose situation (laughs) so it's a bit of a um, yeah, it's, it's it's not ideal, I guess, uh, which is why um, I suppose many vegans tend to avoid this topic and just focus on where the most suffering is, you know, just to be the most effective. Um, and for example, when you look at campaigns, a lot of them tend to focus on animals like pigs and comparing them um, to dogs, because I find we find that maybe out of pigs, cows and chickens, they're the most easily relatable. So there's a lot of sort of... Um, marketing research into it and a lot of um, just consideration you know what speaks to people the most so we are trying to 
Um, obviously, we are, we're a small charity, so we're trying to use our resources in the best way. So we wouldn't probably have a campaign just directed, um, you know, against the honey industry. But then we wouldn't have a campaign just against the dairy industry because everything we do is about veganism as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I think with honey, it does get forgotten often, but we, we do talk about it. We've got a dedicated page to it. It's on all of our leaflets. So we make sure that people are aware of, um, you know, vegans avoiding all exploitation of animals, not just the cute and cuddly ones. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point, actually, because, you know, I'm, I'm learning stuff every day and I've been vegan for quite a while. Um, and some of the information mm. that's in the Vegan Society's website is fascinating. I mean, I knew, I totally buy in to the whole, you know, no exploitation of any animal, but the actual process that's involved in the extract, the extraction of honey from the bees itself, and what they're replaced with the sugary water to the, the bees, it's it, it's horrible. Mm. It really is. It's absolutely disgusting. So, I mean, thanks to the Vegan Society for highlighting that. It's one of those things that I feel doesn't get talked about um, anywhere near enough. But just moving on to, I know we started talking at the beginning of the show, uh, Dominica, about the growth of veganism uh, and how many vegans in the UK and worldwide as well. And I know the Veganuary campaign isn't something that the Vegan Society run themselves, but it, it's obviously helped, you know, raise awareness and stuff and other campaigns mm-hmm. that maybe PETA, for example, run and, and of course yourselves. But how do you yeah. feel in general the future looks for veganism, say in the next 12 months to two years? How do you think that looks? Oh, I think it's really, really positive. And the growth that we've seen that we talked about is really exponential. So I think we've really reached this point when people are truly waking up to the horrors of animal farming and just everything that happens to them. And of course, in the light of the climate emergency now that has been declared as well, people are making the connection between animal agriculture and climate change because that's a topic that's been avoided historically. And I think like all those organizations working together and creating wonderful campaigns, you know, it all helps. And we mentioned Anonymous for the Voiceless as well, which I myself attend every other week here in Birmingham Um, you know they have so many chapters around the world and it's just so great for people to be able to get involved wherever they are so um, like I mentioned I'm going on holiday soon and they even have a chapter in Thailand where I'm going so I'm going to join one of the demos there as well so you know they are everywhere and um, there are just never enough demonstrations I think we can always be doing more so it's so great to see um, that vegans are not just um, you know sort of removing themselves from the whole exploitation of animals by being vegan, but also trying to inspire other people to do it as well by becoming activists. So it's really great to see this movement growing and, um, you know, even things like having an Instagram account that promotes veganism, that's still a great form of activism. And it's really great to see, um, you know, vegans promoting this lifestyle in many different ways and always talking to people about animal rights. Um, Obviously, not not all forms of activism are helpful and positive. For example, I don't think, you know, anyone's going to go vegan when you walk into a restaurant with a placard and start shouting at them. I think people are just going to become defensive and uh, not listen to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it all depends, you know, I feel like whatever we do as vegans, we just have to ask ourselves, what is the non-vegan going to think about us? Because I find that a lot of vegans, we live in our vegan bubble, especially for me working at the vegan society, you know, where everybody is vegan and living in my vegan house, you know, sometimes you can forget what it was like to be um, a non-vegan. So I think it all comes to comes down to trying to empathize with non-vegans and try to help them rather than um, sort of um, 
shame them into veganism. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, actually, because I think if we cast our minds back to before we became vegans, how would we have perceived actions by direct action, for example? And I understand that when they target um, farmers' unions meetings and things like that, I can't, I get that. I understand why they're doing that, but not when they're walking into restaurants with placards and trying to shame people when they're trying to sit down and have a meal. I think that's completely the wrong uh, action to take, but... One thing I think about the vegan society and how they behave is how positive a slant and how positive um, mm. the news is from the vegan society. And I think they're, I wouldn't say unique in that there, but it's nice to see that rather than trying to shame people and to stop eating meat. Because as you say, I think it'll just get people's backs up and they'll not want to do it. And they'll, it's very, very easy for the mainstream media, particularly in the UK, I think, to portray vegans as extremists like you were saying at the beginning Uh, and I think actions like that actually are counterproductive if I'm being perfectly honest the best way and where I would like to go is if I wasn't non-vegan is to be inspired to go vegan with positive news and positive um, understand the health benefits of it and yes talk about animal exploitation because of course that's at the centre of all of this and why we do what we do but there's also you can show people the health benefits of it or you know how you're going to feel after a month of doing this um from a fitness point of view things like that i think are are hugely beneficial one thing um i just wanted to finish off with was people that are listening to this people want to push the word in veganism and get involved with the vegan society how can they do that and how can they help there are so many wonderful ways in which we can promote veganism from the smallest to biggest things. So even if street activism, for example, is not for you, then don't worry. There are so many other ways in which you can do it. Um, so demonstrations like we talked about, Anonymous for the Voiceless, they do um, Cube of Truth demonstrations where they show people slaughterhouse footage in a neutral location. So it's the passersby that have a choice to come up to them and to speak to them. And if they don't want to, they simply walk away. Um, there are events as well where people do choking on the pavement um so they paint messages um that are pro-vegan and then people you know read them maybe they see a link and they go to find out more information um, you can also organize vegan socials so for a lot of vegans when they first um become vegan they don't know anyone else so they sort of feel maybe lonely in their choice especially with a meat-eating family and maybe meat-eating partner so it really helps people to um, meet other like-minded people um and sort of try to make vegan friends Um, One other thing you can do is go on social media and respond to people. For example, on Twitter, I have a search set up that people say, thinking of going vegan or um, want to go vegan, you know, phrases like that. And you can respond uh, sending a link or offering help. Um, You can also write letters to newspaper editors um, promoting veganism, whether there's a positive or negative article, you can just write a response to that. Um, You can bake cakes, for example, and, and sell them or offer them on the streets to people just to show that vegan food actually tastes normal. It's just food free from animal products. Um, you can volunteer for an organization. There are so many things you can do online as well, um, or maybe just order a bunch of leaflets and sort of leave them everywhere you go. So, for example, I subscribe to vegan magazines, and when, I, when I'm done with my magazine, I don't throw it away, but I leave it in waiting rooms at doctors or dental Yeah, I do exactly the same and, thing, actually. And <laughs> really, that's amazing. So I think it, it all comes down to, you know, just try to think, what else can I do? to promote veganism, you know, maybe order a bunch of stickers and stick it, you know, don't vandalize, don't stick it on meat packages because that's just going to, they're going to throw that away. So I think I would like to summarize this by um, 
it's not about us versus them. It's not vegans versus non-vegans. We were all them at some point. Mm. So let's just try to work together to make veganism mainstream by being positive, effective activists. And don't be afraid sometimes to take a step back and look at what you're doing and really ask yourself, am I helping animals or am I just feeding my ego? Because I think that's what it was for me um, a few years ago when I was a really angry vegan, you know, I was just doing things to make myself feel better. Mm. Um, but let's not give them ammunition. Let's not give the media the controversial headlines. Let's be the... Um, compassionate, animal-loving people that vegans mostly are. And let's just show them what really this lifestyle is about. And um, yeah, let's just do it for, for the animals, really, not for ourselves. Listen, good luck with everything in your future and enjoy your trip to Thailand. Um, and I can't believe you're taking in a demonstration there as well. It never stops. That's really, really <laughs> positive. Um, no, I mean, animal suffering doesn't stop, so we can't go well, on a holiday. <laughs> true, true. That's exactly right, 100%. I couldn't have said it better. Listen, good luck with everything in the future and good luck to the Vegan Society and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Neil. So my thanks this week to Dominika Piasaka from the Vegan Society. I um, hope you really enjoyed that episode. thing that came across from the interview with her was the positivity uh, from her and the Vegan Society in general. Uh, their website is vegansociety.com. Get on there, have a look at uh, their current campaigns. And if, like me, you like what they do, uh, make a donation every month to help those guys out. One thing they're really conscious about uh, resonates with me quite a bit and was one of the reasons why I decided to start doing this podcast in the first place but was because of the media's portrayal of veganism in general. Uh, a lot of the time, mainstream media in particular in the UK likes to portray vegans as extremists uh, when it's simply not the case. Um, veganism is a passive act. It's an act of love uh, for animals. It's an act of looking after yourself. So there's nothing extreme about any of that. So I think the work that the Vegan Society do in portraying veganism uh, in a positive light is to be strongly encouraged. And good luck to them. Good luck to them in the future. And I wish them every success. So if you've enjoyed this week, episode then by all means go onto itunes or wherever you get your downloads from and leave a positive review that would uh, greatly help get us noticed uh so until next week guys um have a great week and i shall see you then bye bye for now